Super Talk Mississippi media production. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. I'm coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I'm Steve Azar. Thanks for listening to In a Mississippi Minute. Folks, I appreciate that. Reminding you that once we get through all this crazy times, trying times, wonderful things are right here in Mississippi. Go to visitmississippi.org to find out more. Today's guest, well, could flat out fly on and in water, like a top water bait. Okay, all right. An Olympic <laughs> medalist and former world record holder. He set an American record in the 100-meter breaststroke while winning the silver in that event in the 1996 Summer Olympics. He has recently been selected to be inducted, and my pal Jim Gallagher Jr. will appreciate this, into the Tennessee Athletic Hall of Fame with the class of 2017. Most importantly, he's a pal of my pal, former LPGA star Chris Cheddar, and how they met is a story we best get out of the way. Ouch. (laughs) So let's get to it and say hey, hey, hey to my man Jeremy Lin. What's up, Jeremy? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm in pain right now thinking about what you're about to tell our listeners. Uh, oh my gosh! We got it. Let's get it out of the way because you guys met in there and and not not mental therapy. Well, although you probably both need it, but uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so so let's get it out of the way. What happened? Okay, so uh, I met I met our mutual friend Chris Shetter uh, doing some physical therapy, and the reason that I needed physical therapy, and I'm on continuing physical therapy. Is uh, you know since since my uh, uh, swimming career ended as an athlete, I became a coach about twenty twenty two years ago, and my my kids I get to work with a group of elite level athletes, and we do uh, everything from the water training to the to the the training that's outside of the pool, which we call dry land training. Two days a week, we do the weight room, and uh, and we start that off with about a half hour of plyometric work on a gym floor, and I do it with them. And uh, and I was just warming up to coach him one day, and uh, and I jumped up to touch the back of the basketball rim, and the, and the back of the basketball rim had a little lip on it, and uh, my wedding ring happened to get caught on that lip, and uh, and it uh, uh, briefly and very quickly removed my ring finger uh, and the tendon that attaches to it that leads all the way up to your elbow. So uh, I uh, I now have four fingers on my left hand, and uh, I've lost that finger completely. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I had uh, we we use our pain scale on a one to ten level, and uh, and I'd never experienced a ten till that day. So I now know what a ten is on the pain scale. Well, what about first of all, first of all, if you're talking about trying to get take your wedding ring off, 
That's not the best way. I think you and I could have discussed another <laughs> way. Second of all, we talked about this. I am wearing a a wedding ring that is, is it costs eleven dollars at an airport, uh, at whatever little store in Atlanta. I remember my ring. You know the the ones that go that oval. You know that uh, you know the rings are not flat, so they're not like tubular. They have lips on them. They so as they curve down. Those are the ones I used to get it stuck into my car door all the time. Yeah. And I said I'm going to rip my finger off. So I I told my wife, and this is when we first had our first child. So this is 24 years ago. I said I've got to. Uh, I can't take a chance. So I saw this Cocapelli ring. Is it Cocapelli? The little guy, the little flutist he's on my ring and i thought well i'll get a real one you know soon but it's been 24 years it's still on me oh my gosh but, but it I doesn't I, do I that i wish i knew you then because yeah. uh i had to learn the hard way and you, you hear these stories and you're like oh that will never ever happen to me and i'm be honest anybody i see wearing a wedding ring these days that's made of metal uh, i'm like you know hey got uh, a little story for you and, yeah. I, and my wife was like, you know, you should put it on a necklace and put it around your neck. <laughs> but then I was worried I, my head would pop off, you know. So. Yeah, that would be that would be the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, so where are you wearing your wedding ring now? Uh, at this point, the wedding ring was so uh, so uh, badly mangled from the accident uh, that that I have it in a little jar that I keep on the bedside table. So at this point. Um, I just uh, honor my my marriage every day by kissing and hugging my wife and telling her, you know, uh, I'll get get a tattoo one day. <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do. No, you get a tattoo, yeah. then that's the kiss of death. So not a good idea. Uh, we're, okay, uh, we're talking to Jeremy Lynn. Um, what about your 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 kids there? Do they just freak out because? Yeah, so uh, so you know we have uh, I have twenty three uh, elite level high school age kids in my uh, in my uh, training group, and and we're talking about you know we've we've had years where we've had three million dollars worth of scholarships come out of that group. Wow. You know, in a single year, you know, highly dedicated group of kids. They never miss, and these, and I had five of them that had already arrived to the to the uh, session, and and they all were uh, bore witness to this this atrocity and uh and it was definitely a, a tremendous challenge for him in the moment but uh certainly uh if you want to talk about ptsd i'm sure that it, it was there and and within 48 hours of the accident i was back in our team room and talking to them and making jokes about myself just to let them know i'm going to be okay and so are you so uh but uh i'll tell you what none of them ever tell me they're in pain anymore yeah oh no though there's no chance All right, we're <laughs> gonna move on we spent way too much time almost at almost a uh, third of a Mississippi minute talking about this. We got to get talking about the good stuff. Uh, you talk about your training these kids. You remind me of what Reggie Smith does out in LA. Great baseball player, good good friend. Been on my show a couple of times, and he has gotten over a thousand D one scholarships for kids in, in baseball. And also, has, at the time, the last time we talked, he had twenty six major leaguers. So you're talking about training the some elite. Uh, uh, talented athletes, right? I mean, and do you have to Correct. be that? Do you? I mean, if you're coaching and stuff, is it your own deal and you have to sort of like uh, apply or like your speeds have to be to a certain place? I mean, how do you, how do you let somebody uh, in? Uh, so uh, we, uh, we do everything from developmental swimming. So we teach kids from a very young age. We have over 2,000 kids on our club and we're actually the number one 
swim club in the country. It's called Nation's Capital Swim Club. We're out of Washington, D.C., and we do everything from the developmental level where the kids are practicing two or three times a week uh, and, and raise them up all the way through uh, uh, till they go off to their given universities. Uh, and, uh, and when they come back from their universities, they train again with us for, for national and international level competition. But uh, so it, 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 it isn't necessarily just the time that we're looking for from these guys. Obviously, their performance is a, is a part of the formula that we look for. But uh, everything from the, the level of commitment they, they have to the sport, to their honesty and their application, to being a student of the sport, um, you know. So it, it really is a, a formula that we look for for, you know, these guys and it's crazy my this group of 23 kids our our gpa for these high school age kids that are training for 24 hours a week some of them are driving an hour and a half to get to the training sessions in one direction so they'll do two times a day and be on the road for for upwards of six hours and they're uh they're carrying 4.0 i mean we're we have kids that are valedictorians of their school training in this group Wow, that's um, so. That's awesome. It's a it's a really uh, we're not just looking for the quality of athlete, but the quality of person. Because when it comes down to it, to be able to perform on an elite level, you got to be you got to be a, a complete person. You really do. Right. Well, no, there's there's no doubt because look, there has to be that work ethic that's basically that's in the fiber. You know, that yeah. it's in your DNA, and you don't know. So you work. You don't just work at one thing. You work at it all. And and think about all yeah. the kids that are so talented and the ones that don't spend time working in the classroom it just it stifles them it stops them all of a sudden they're not able to go to a big university because their acts and their grades don't match up and it's just it's it's a it's a travesty because i've seen a lot of great athletes that are d1 caliber but they left that on the table and i'm going like why i'll I'll tell you i kind of i kind of learned in reverse like i i was a, a a really great athlete when i was a high schooler not a great student. I mean, I had to get a 4.0 my senior year to graduate with a 2.0. Wow. You know, and that was what got me into college. But when I applied the, 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 the formula for setting goals and applying myself that I was using in the sport to my academics, I realized that the reward was just the same. And I really felt great about myself, and I was really, you know, getting the best out of myself in the classroom when I got that 4.0. So by the time I went to the University of Tennessee, I liked being a student, and it was something that I was able to carry forward and, and you know, graduate from University of Tennessee, uh, traveling on the national team, traveling with the college team, doing a lot of time outside of the classroom and still graduating with 3.5. So it's pretty, you know, I really learned from the sport how to apply myself and and if we can help the kids already know how to apply themselves and set those goals outside of the sport it becomes a lot easier to be able to do it within the sport well and you got you when once you got tuned in you got tuned in i love that we're talking to jeremy lynn you're in the keep mississippi beautiful studio olympian very fast on the water american uh record holder uh, he's got medals hanging out and uh, missing a finger but that's all right because he's still a whole he's all whole <laughs> Don't forget to go to visitmississippi.org. Check out all the great things you're going to do when this mess is over. We're almost there. Blessings. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
talking Olympian, one fast dude on the water, my man Jeremy Lynn in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Go to visit Mississippi.org to check out everything. you got plenty of time right now. We all do. And I'm going stir crazy, but hang in. I know that you all are as well. And uh, if I do another thing around the house, Jeremy, talking to Jeremy Lynn, if I, if I do one more thing around the house that wasn't on the list before this started, uh, I, I mean, what's your, like that honeydew list? It keeps growing. Like It's like on like 11 pages now. Used to be on like a half a page. Do you have that same there's, issue? There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, the, one of the interesting parts of our formula is the fact that we have a 17-month-old daughter I'm a 44-year-old guy with a 17-month-old daughter, so oh, she keeps us hopping. Uh, you know, we have we have my wife, my mother-in-law, myself, and my daughter at the house. And I'll tell you, the three of us playing zone defense on this kid is is outrageous. Um, so she keeps us terribly busy. And uh, and and outside of that, you know, getting to do stuff in my gardens that I haven't been able to do since since before we had her. Uh, so it's it's been almost a blessing to get the time with the family you know and you're thinking about all the terrible things that are happening outside of our walls it's right. hard to be like boy i love this vacation but we sure are enjoying the, the ability to have that time with our our daughter and, and watch her grow you know by the moment that's awesome you know that that yeah, is great I'll, I'll tell you i, I think she's going to be seven feet tall she's huge Oh, really? So what about your wife? Yeah. So give me some genetic thing. Was this like planned out? Like, you, you, were, you scouting, were you scouting, like, is your wife six foot? Yeah, she's, she's about 5'10", and she, I think she was scouting me out. So she, uh, <laughs> she made a good pick, and we got some good DNA in this one, I'll tell you what. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you can, you know, expect girls, especially our baby girl. She was rocking, like, she was the third. And, and, but I can remember her, you know, walking faster crawling faster walking faster running quicker you know what i mean like she was she was oh, ready yeah. to roll you know and and i always attributed it to the boys that were you know in front of her and she was just trying to keep up but i think that that's a girl thing i think they're ready to sort of move on right, so let's talk about length My, our buddy steve lundquist you know I've, he's been a really good friend of mine in fact we were texting each other yesterday um and he's you know he does this orangutan thing with his arms because they're so long so yeah, I think his knuckles drag on the back. <laughs> I've seen them. <laughs> they do. do. You give Steve Lundquist a pole if there's late night and he's been dancing. He's a great pole dancer, and uh, and it's it's hard to watch sometimes. But we have a plenty of video footage that I think he sort of digs. But he trained. He used to talk about his dad would get in their boat on their lake, and um, and his dad would get in the boat and he would chase the boat. That's how he sort of trained, and he's serious. So, but he's very long. So one of these prerequisites we talk about. I mean, you're tall. How tall are you? I'm six foot five. Okay, you're and, uh, six five. I, six five, and I swam on the Olympic team. I think I was probably uh, not in the top twenty percent of height on the team. Come height on. really does mean something. There were some really big dudes. I mean, so so obviously you've got that stretch, correct? I mean, when you we stretch sure. yourself out, are your arms really long as well? Uh, my uh, my arms are pretty long. I'd say if I'm six five, my wingspan's probably about six foot six. And and if you can look at your wingspan being a little bit longer than your height, mm-hmm. you're doing a pretty good job as a swimmer. If you think about range of motion in in any sport, you know, uh, and, and especially in swimming where you're you're using from the tips of your fingers to the tips of your toes, you're using every muscle in your body. And uh, and the more range of motion that you have, and the the more you can use that body to be able to vault yourself down the pool, the better you're going to do. 
Um, now, now certainly for for my, my my young friends that are that are a little more vertically challenged, um, we teach them to use their body to the best of their capacity. And I think I think that's one of the the the, the moral of that story is whatever your weapon is, learn how to learn how to wield it. You know, the one thing that's always going to win out and you know, always trumps talent and always trumps tools is is hard work. Um, and there's been some guys throughout history that are able to put in a body of work that is so much greater than others that, that there's just unstoppable. And, and, and it does really attribute to the power of what you're capable of doing with your mind. Um, you know, that's a decision you make to be able to put in that kind of work. So I think it's really, uh, you know, a testament to what's possible between your ears. Look, even in our business, the, we are. I preach this all the time. The kids come along or people are asking, you know, what do we do? And I said, well, <laughs> you got to be all in, first of all. Second of all, yep. you got to work harder than everybody you've ever met in your life. You got to work that yep. hard because what happens as a songwriter and as an artist, what I guess, I guess the best way to explain it is the more you do it and the more you do it and the more you do it, you tap into sort of your, into your mind and your imagination. And once you've done that and you keep practicing, your subconscious is really the magic, the mojo. It and is. Once you don't have to think about anything, that's when the good songs come out. I think that once you get in, probably in your line of work, you get in the pool and you can forget about everything except just go. Because you've already done all the preparation. You know what I mean? So yep. it's, it's the rehearsing and the rehearsing and the rehearsing. Sure, you know. sure. You learn a new chord progression on your guitar until you do it 10,000 times. You're not going to have that in the bag without thinking about it and having to process it or focus on it until those 10,000 hours are in the bag. Right. And I think it goes with, with taking anything and making it a habit. So, you know, you can, you can transfer that chord progression into a body movement that you're trying to turn into a habit so you don't have to think about doing it. So when you stand on the box at the Olympics, you're not like, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my body. It comes naturally, you know. So uh, and, and imagine if you're not focused on that for those 10,000 hours, you allow your mind to wander or you allow your discipline to wander. You're not going to have it perfect. So you've got to be on that point all the time. When do you recall actually believing, was there maybe this moment that you go, oh, yeah, I can do this? I mean, I'm I'm good. Oh yeah, at this. I was hoping you'd ask that question. Uh, I was a 16 year old kid, and uh, I came from a small team in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We had, like I said, my club now has 2,000 kids on it. Our club there had 100 kids on it, so it was much smaller. And three Olympians came from that team. Oh okay. um, wow! And, and it really did have to do with the fact that you believe it's possible. And when I was a 16-year-old guy, uh, one of my friends, a 16-year-old girl, ends up making the Olympic team. She goes there, she wins. She, her name's Anita Nall. She swam the same stroke I did, so she was a breaststroker as well. Um, she goes and wins two silver medals and a gold medal. And all of a sudden in my mind, you know, before that in my mind, it was like you look at professional athletes in any sport, and especially Olympic athletes. I thought of them as superhumans. You know, they're superheroes. There's no way I'm going to be one of them. And all of a sudden it became very realistic, you know, because I know this girl. She's no different than me. And all of a sudden it clicked in my mind yeah. that this is possible, you know, and 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 what it did for me, it didn't make it so you jump in and you, you make the Olympic team, but it made it possible for me to perceive the ability to do it and be willing to commit to the work it was going to take to get there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you were just as close as you could get to. So that was a real, it became real. 
And and right, yeah, I get it. Well, what about like your coach there? He got three Olympians. Who who was it that was so dang good at it? <laughs> yeah, they say it's uh, something about Central Pennsylvania and the water because we've had uh, a lot of a lot of Olympic breaststrokers have come from that area of the country. Um, and uh, you know, we just happened to be lucky enough. Uh, my my coach was a, a re- retired state police captain. Uh, his name was Ed Frazier. Still is Ed Frazier. Um, and he uh, he just uh, he knew hard work, discipline was in the bag for him, and and then he was just such a student of the sport. He had been in the sport for about twenty years before he even met me, um, and uh, and he was just the right guy to get me in the right place and uh, and help me make good decisions as I went on to my university swimming. So I had a good matchup with my my coaching staff there, and it really does take a village of people from parents teammate, coaching staff, to the individual that's doing it to help somebody make an Olympic team. Not to mention that a little magic and a little timing, you know, timing is a big deal, you know. So with a year like this year, so interesting because uh, that timing changes. The Mm -hmm. Olympics Olympics have been moved a full year. So if you think about the amount of athletes that are impacted in their preparation for the moment that was supposed to happen this summer, now it's pushed another year. It changes things for a lot of people. So that timing will be off for some people that would have had it perfect right. this They're, year. Yeah. You know? yeah, and you got people coming along that are improving and that are getting there. Yeah, yep. it even t- I get it. I get it. All right, listen. We're the birthplace of American music. We have actually something in the water, and that's art form. When it comes to music, it's crazy. So you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear the North Mississippi All-Stars or Three Doors Down? North Mississippi All-Stars every oh, time. Luther and Cody would love to hear how quick you answered that. <laughs> I'm with my man Jeremy Lynn. Uh, we're in a Mississippi Minute. Go to visit Mississippi.org after this mess is over. Trying times are behind us to find out all the great things you can do. We're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studios. Let's hear a little Luther and Cody. We'll be right back. One second, a little bit. There lies an opportunity. Use this time to plan for the future as life returns to normal. It always does. Stay safe, help those in need or who are struggling with the effects of the crisis. Stay six feet apart and wash your hands. Let Guarantee Bank make this chaotic time a little less stressful. They have a full menu of electronic self-service options that allow you to make deposits, transfer money, pay bills, check balances, and much more from your phone or computer. If you'd like to talk to a Guarantee Bank member at your branch, they're available from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. The phone number is 800-847-7454. Stay safe and stay healthy. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Steve Azar, you're in a Mississippi Minute. Go to visit Mississippi.org to check out all the cool things, the museums, the golf, everything. Everything you can do here in our great store, uh, our great state. Um, with Jeremy Lynn in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Uh, Jeremy, um, take me back to... 
you know, here you are, you're making your way. What's the feeling, the adrenaline, uh, controlling the adrenaline when you're competing and you're in the Olympic trials itself first? Your, and, and was it your first Olympic trial that you made it? And was it was it uh, a surprise to you at all? You know what I mean? Sure. So uh, I was a 20-year-old kid. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was not uh, – I was kind of – you know, like a like a, a a shooting star. I was I was accelerating fast through the swimming ranks, but I wasn't the number one guy. Um, you know, when you when I went to Olympic trials in in '96, and and it's a little different than it was uh, it is now. Back then, it was about it was about three and a half months before the Olympics, so you'd have time to prepare for the Olympics after the trials. Now it's about three weeks before, so you're going right to the Olympics from the trials. But I'm a 20-year-old kid. I go in, and I'm seated probably 20th. Now, to make the Olympic team, they take the top two athletes in each stroke and put them on the team. Yeah, there's, so, no, there's uh, no room. I mean, there's nobody on the team. <laughs> nobody on the team. So if there's three, there's three million kids swimming in the country, two of them are making the Olympic team in each given event. It's a, it's a near impossibility to put into your mind that way. And if I'm going in 20th, I might as well be 100th or 200th. It's a big challenge. But in my mind and the way I'd always prepared was if I'm going to swim in a swim meet, I'm going to win. And uh, so that's the way I approached it mentally. And uh, it was just another swim meet for me. And I, you know, trained myself moment to moment, day to day, 100% effort. There was no doubt that I was going to be at my best in the moment at Olympic trial. So I, I swam. They do a prelims in the morning where everybody gets to race, and then they take the top eight guys, and they do a finals at night, and those are the guys racing to make the team. So I, I, put, I, I put myself in that top eight, but I put myself in that top eight at sixth. So when I went into the finals, I was, I was in lane two. They, they seat it from the center out, so the fastest guy's in the middle, and then it gets slower as you go to the outside. So I'm in lane two. And, uh, you know, I'm looking around me before I race, and it's the previous Olympic gold medalist. It's the American record holder. It's the guy that won NCAAs the previous year. These guys are studs. And, again, you're looking straight uphill, and it's like, well, I'm here. I got a shot. I raced to win. So uh, kind of a fun story. And, and uh, when I did the race, I swam my best race. I knew I'd done really great. I was pretty sure that I'd finish first or second. And when you finish a race and swim in, they put all the times up on the scoreboard. And I look up at that scoreboard, and I'm not first, and I'm not second, and I'm not third, and I'm not fourth. I'm like, what's happening here? At the bottom, it says, Jeremy Lynn did not swim. What? And if I was sure, if I was sure of one thing, I knew I'd swim the race. So <laughs> come on, you hear a guy come, you hear a guy come over the loudspeaker and say, "Okay, the times aren't official." And meanwhile, I'm looking around. My coaches are going crazy on the side of the pool trying to figure out what's happening. <laughs> the two guys that had got first and second on the scoreboard are hugging each other and yeah. being interviewed by NBC. And they're we're the first <laughs> event of the Olympic trials. They were going to be the first guys on the team. And, uh, and the announcer says, you know, please be patient. The scoreboard will be official in, in just a moment. And we sat there for about five minutes watching all this happen. I'm sitting on the side of the pool just going, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and next thing you know, he says, you know, the scoreboard is now official. It goes blank. And I start at the bottom this time. All right, where am I? 
you know, looking all the way up. And and by the time I got to the top of that list, there I was, first place at the wow. Olympic So I had won the race. Yeah. What, what what happened? And, and I'll tell you, I felt uh, it was just a timing malfunction. Yeah. So they, they went to the video, checked everything, and it was clear that I had won the race. And uh, and I'd go, you know, you, you train for that moment. I'd go on my best time, and I was just shy of the American record at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you from the time you're 16 and you make that goal of making the team, you think about that goal like it's a, at the top of a, a stepladder. And every day you're just going to come to the swimming pool and climb that ladder and get to the next goal and the next goal till you get to that moment. And in that moment, I grabbed the top rung of that ladder and I was swinging from it. Well, do you cool. when so when you dive in right and you do you need to get into a rhythm that you, you're dealing with speed, so you got to be in control. You can't go a sure. little left, can't sway a little bit toward one rope or the other. Right, you got to stay straight. And you got to move. So, is there a rhythm that you sort of put? Do you listen to? You got something going in your head or musically? Do you hear anything? Sure. Are you hearing voices? What's going on? Well, I listen to. I'm a huge music fan, so I listen to a lot of music uh, before I, before I raced, and and that's more to just whether it's keep me calm or get me pumped up or put me in my zone. That's really what I was looking to do with as far as music's uh, concerned, and it is a rhythm thing, but. You know, the plan for the race is very specific. I knew exactly how many strokes I would take from one end to the other. It's a 50-meter pool and a 100-meter race, so I knew exactly how many strokes I'd take to the far end and exactly how many strokes I'd take back. And you work on your acceleration within that stroke count so that you can use the entire pool to swim you know your best race that's crazy we're talking to jeremy lynn i'm learning all sorts it makes sense makes total sense so you go and you qualify for the 96 olympics is that your first olympics and only olympics or did you do two runs at it it was my first and only olympics uh i did i did train through 2000 uh, and fell a little short in 2000 so i retired and, and went on tour with my favorite band uh for about for about three months and then uh and then got into the realm of coaching we out with the Grateful uh, Dead or Fish. Who were you with? Yeah, uh, well, the Grateful Dead. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> during my first national team trip, Jerry Garcia passed away yeah. during my first national team trip. Um, so I, I didn't get an opportunity to go on Dead Tour. So uh, I did go on Fish Tour. There you go. Look at me. How about me? <laughs> I know if you're going out on a tour, the way you said it, that it was going to be a yes, jam sir. thing. I could just tell. Yes, sir. <laughs> we. Um, and, and the cool thing was, it was after the Olympics, and in, in about about a week after the Olympics, when I came home. I got to meet the band. They were coming to play. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They were coming to play Hershey. Yeah. And I had just gotten home, and we're having a little shindig at the house. Everybody's celebrating some Olympic medals, and we're having a good time. Phone rings. It's the manager of the band. He's like, hey, listen, we saw you getting off the plane with a fish T-shirt on. We're coming to town. Do you want to meet the guys? I was like, <laughs> I already got tickets. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm backstage. and meeting the band, and we become friends. And we, you know, the connection of... You know, think about swimming in your home country in front of 16,000 screaming fans. I know you know what that feeling is. As a musician that's been on stage, you've gotten to spend a little more time doing it than I have, but I got a taste of what that moment feels like walking out in front of 16,000 people that are all cheering just for you. 
and that excited to see you. And in that moment, you know, we found that connection like, wow, I understand what you get to. And, and I remember specifically talking to Trey Anastasio about it. He's like, you get it. You know why we do walk out on stage every night. That's, I mean, that feeling never goes away. Yep. Played in the, I played in the Spectrum. I don't know if it was called the Spectrum at the time. I played in every arena in, in the country. In Philly? It's insane. Yeah, man, it's insane. Yeah. Just the feeling of, I, of I that. I think I've seen fish in all of them, so. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, you spent a, you did. <laughs> that band plays a lot. You know what I mean? They play yeah. a lot. They so, do. Well, first of all, athletes and musicians, they both want to be each other. Like, we both want to be each other. I mean, like, because you, yep. you, you yep. so appreciate a great athlete. And from my perspective, it's like, it's, I mean, just to become pals and, and become friends and get in their head and understand who they are and what they went through. It's just really cool. Like, for instance, I was watching my man Jimmy Mack, Jim McMahon, the other day doing a big celebration of the Chicago Bears. Got to know him really well over the years. You forget that it's Jimmy Mack, the guy that was on the cover of Rolling Stone, because, you know, because he's your right. buddy. You know what I mean? So right. it's, it's an interesting thing. Our, our lives have allowed us to meet some incredible people that have a lot of normal traits, you know what I mean? But they've done amazing things. I remember getting a chance when we met, uh, I met, uh, I lived down in the Florida Keys and I met uh, Mellencamp in the band. And I'll tell you, Andy York and Mike Weinchek, salt of the earth, two of the best guys in the world. We became friends instantly. And and it was that, that, uh, you know, mutual understanding that, you know, you know, we had both mastered the art of what we're doing, and, and we could get right past that and become friends. It, yeah. it had, you know, no no bearing on the fact that it just was easy for us to connect. Well, and the fact that you accomplished something that's amazing and great just puts you in the same room together, and then the rest is just based on sure. just becoming friends. We're talking to not the wrestler and not the basketball player. We're talking to the swimmer, Jeremy Lynn. <laughs> You're in a Mississippi the original. Minute. The original. You're in a Mississippi Minute in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Go to visit Mississippi.org to plan your next getaway. Just start just start making your list and do your little bucket list because uh, it won't be long and they're going to let us out. We'll be right back. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Visit Mississippi.org is your place to find out everything that you have not done yet that you should do on your bucket list. Go to that, please, and check it out. So many great things to do. Talking to Jeremy Lynn, an amazing swimmer. American world record, American record holder. Let me get all this right. Uh, so, Jeremy, when when you have to call it quits, right? I mean, like any athlete that's worked that long and has relied on this crazy feeling you get when you're in the heat of the battle. Was it difficult to stop? Uh, the 
the adrenaline rush that you get from competing is irreplaceable, as well as the adrenaline rush or the power or the energy that you get from preparation or training. It's irreplaceable, and it's something you don't understand until you're past it, how irreplaceable it really is. So by the time I, I decided, I'm, you know, I'm going to hang up my suit, I'm going to hang up my goggles and move on to the next chapter in my life, it kept coming back to me. I'll tell you, when I when I hung them up, I was like, I'm, I'm never going to go back to the pool. With, <laughs> within about eight months, I was on the pool deck coaching again mm-hmm. and looking for, you know, not only to help. Uh, I, what I wanted to do is I learned a value system through the sport. When I look back, what was important to me for my sport, it was was the values and the kind of person that the sport made me. So that's what I wanted to bring back to the sport and give back to the sport. It's the reason I came back. But I'll tell you what, uh, certainly that competitive feeling and that competitive energy meant something so much to me, even on a day-to-day basis when we prepare. It meant so much to me that it was something that that I was, uh, you know, I needed to have in my life. So uh, not only uh, doing it for myself, uh, but watching, you know, 24 of my athletes over and over again get the best out of themselves, it sure sure does fill that void. So that brings up an interesting question. How fast can you go before you can't go any faster? I mean, I think 0.0 would be pretty fast, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this point, we've we've not, uh, you know, swimming's been around for for a very very long time, and and what records we thought were unbreakable have always been broken, and I think that's kind of the way it goes. When there's a mark out there, there's somebody that wants it, and they're preparing for it, and they're going to do what it takes to get it. You know, so so when they say records are made to be broken, I mean that mark is the bar that people are looking to jump over. You when, know, so yeah, when you win the I, silver, I just, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sure. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't see how, how, uh, you know, it could get much faster, but it continually does. So, uh, and and we're continually amazed by the people that do it. So it's it's such a neat thing to watch that progression and and know that you've been a part of that history. Well, it seems like when you're watching the Olympics or the trials, you always hear about records. I might go, well, how many times can they keep breaking records? <laughs> and maybe maybe it's just a given thing. Can a pool be fast like a track? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, and and we always make a joke every time I go to a swim meet as a coach, I, I drink a little bit of the water in front of my, my swimmers, and I'm <laughs> like, ooh, that's fast. You know, <laughs> it, it, it it is, it's a feeling to how the tank is put in the ground, uh, they've they've got it down to the science these days. They bring in uh, a pool, build it on site, so like they'll build it in a, in a basketball arena. They'll put a pool in there for a week, and, and have you know seventeen thousand people come sit in arena seating and watch a swim meet happen down on the on the basketball floor. They build these pools and they are fast. Well, so when you win silver in 96, mm-hmm. how, how far back were you from winning gold? Nine one-hundredths of a second. That's not even fair. No. 16,000 fans in a, in the United States. I walk out. I'm the second to last heat in the morning. It's same setup. Prelims in the morning, finals at night. I swim my race in the morning, and I have to hide the American record. And the crowd you know, goes crazy for me, and I'm feeling good, and I'm strutting off, and I strut off the deck. And I'm back in the warm-down pool area as the last heat goes off. And uh, there was even a bigger cheer, and I knew there was no Americans in that heat. So I was like, what just happened? The guy that uh, that uh, 
ended up touching me out in the finals, just broke the world record. And he had gone almost a full second faster than I did um, in the morning. So uh, it was uh, it was a pretty daunting task when I walked into finals, seated second to the world record holder, and I'm going to have to improve a lot to beat him. Uh, by the time it was all said and done, we both went faster than his mark in the morning, so Come we were both on. faster than the existing world record, and he touched me out by nine. Serious pain right now. Yeah. So uh, everything fell in place, you know, and people were like, oh, you know, I made a mistake during the race. I was excited. Uh, and, and that stroke count that I talked about earlier, uh, I, when I reached for the first wall, I glided about three feet, and I knew that that mistake right there, that length, that three foot, was the nine one hundredths of a second it was going to take to win the race. Um, you still broke the world record yep, with that yes, mistake. Man, you must have been yep. flying in between. Wow. Well, I've, I've, uh, I could spend uh, quite a few Mississippi minutes with you, but our time is done, and I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I've gotten to know you like a brother now. I can't wait to uh, have you on stage with us. Awesome. We'll jam all night for you. And uh, also, we get this Delta Soul thing figured out. Uh, we're going to have you down, you and your bride. You take care of your beautiful child and your and your mother-in-law at the house. And uh, you've been in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I'm Steve Azar. Go to visit Mississippi.org to plan your next getaway, because I know you're ready. Talk to you later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them where you can take your sweet time. The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.